Support for Defiance comes from Kraken, consistently rated the best and most secure Bitcoin exchange. Kraken puts the power in your hands to buy and sell Bitcoin. With 24-7, 365, world-class customer service, you can trust Kraken to support you, whoever you are and wherever you are. Available at kraken.com or via the mobile app, which is available to download from the Apple or Google app stores. Just search for Kraken Pro, which is K-R-A-K-E-N-P-R-O. Forced shutdowns have taken a toll on local economies across the country. Major cities may now see a double impact as residents debate riding it out or leaving for more space. More Californians than ever are thinking of moving away, partly because of the high cost of living, but also now because many tech workers can move and still keep their high-paying jobs. California is seeing an exodus, a mass exodus. When Elon Musk announced he was moving from California to Texas, he said it was because of the regulations regarding COVID. But being the richest man on the planet, moving to Texas had tax benefits too. And he is not the only one. The world's biggest podcaster, Joe Rogan, has also left the Golden State for Austin. Some said this was because of the tax benefits following his new Spotify deal. But Joe had also talked about the raging wildfires getting worse every year in the state. But both highlight a growing trend in 2020, driven by changing work structures, allowing people to pick where they want to live based on the things important to them. Historically, most people are fixed to a specific location based on where they work, attempting to keep the commute as short as possible. But with COVID lockdowns, people have been forced to work from home, highlighting that companies do not necessarily need expensive office overheads, staff are happier with more time with their family, and therefore companies can base themselves anywhere they want, and so can individuals. This presents an interesting new governance dynamic, where the foot is more powerful than the ballot in driving change. My name is Peter McCormack, and this is Defiance. I've been interested in the immigrant story for a long time. You know, what makes somebody pick up and leave their home country? This is Balaji Srinivasan, an angel investor and entrepreneur who believes technology will lead to a borderless world. America is not just a nation of immigrants, it's a nation of immigrants. We usually focus on people coming to the US, but not necessarily why they left their home countries to come to the US. And for example, in Ireland, it was, you know, the potato famine, uh, the revolutions of 1848, you know, that was, that was a big push in the, in the 1800s. In the 1900s, you know, it had, you know, Jewish people fleeing the Holocaust. And you also had Vietnamese people, you know, Chinese people, Korean people fleeing communism. And uh, what, what you have is in many of these cases, it's not simply the draw, right? It's not simply just, okay, come to a, a country that is going well often leave a country that is not going well. And, you know, this is related to a very important concept, actually going back to like the UN Declaration on Human Rights in 1948, that uh, the right to emigrate is actually a fundamental human right. And um, this is a very big deal. You know, it's, it's one thing if a country doesn't let you immigrate. It's quite another thing if a country doesn't let you emigrate. If it doesn't let you emigrate, you're stuck in there and you can't leave. And Actually, in this sense, the right to leave is actually more important than the right to, quote, vote. And, you know, if you think about this from a political philosophy standpoint, there are at least three kinds of votes, right? You can vote with your ballot, you can vote with your wallet, you can vote with your feet. 
and there is a growing market for people looking to do exactly that, to move jurisdictions or obtain a second passport and vote with their feet. I'm Katie the Russian, uh, CEO and founder of Plan B Passport, where we help individuals to find a better suitable jurisdiction for their goals, their lifestyle, uh, their needs, and get a, get a second passport from those jurisdictions. I pretty much got into that through my own experience. I'm an immigrant myself. I went through one of the hardest immigration processes in the world. I moved to the United States. Katie was an elite athlete, one of the top 20 sailors in her class and the captain of the Russian team. She moved to the United States to train and compete. And throughout this process, I realized that as a non-citizen of the country, in some cases, I have more freedom and I have, you know, some rights that the other guys who's been born and lived here throughout their whole life do not have. So I started looking at this uh, thing called flag theory and the idea behind the concept of flag theory to limit your dependency on any one particular state as well as to find benefits in other jurisdictions that will, you know, bring value to your company, bring value to your family, to your lifestyle, etc. And the more I started looking into that, I realized how aligned it is with, with my vision, with my philosophy in life, and I started expanding my knowledge. Katie created Plan B Passport to help others who wanted to obtain a second passport, who wanted to protect themselves from their reliance upon a single state. So this is not a new thing, right? It's been it's been going on for decades, and uh, it used to be a lot of just you know businessmen trying to sometimes flee their own country just because the jurisdiction is not suitable for their business or for them personally. But also everything that's happening in the world being a huge catalyst for my company's growth. First, we've seen crazy lockdowns, and people realize that they might not have as much freedom of travel as they thought they had. And then we had the United States election, which half of the country is unhappy with. So it's all those customers that are trying to find their plan B. And it really is just as easy as buying yourself a new passport in some instances. In some jurisdictions, uh, it's not the case that people actually move there. They just acquire a passport from a better jurisdiction. Uh, so let's, say, let's talk about St. Kitts. They had a really nice COVID special last year where a family of four could get in at the same price as a single applicant. So $150,000 donation into sustainable growth fund of a country and six months of your time will give you a brand new passport. You do not have to go to the island to, to apply. You don't have to go to the island to leave. You don't have to reside there. So pretty much you fill up the application, you start a basic due diligence process that is happening on the side of the jurisdiction you're trying to acquire a passport from. And uh, six months later, you get a passport. You get it. You get it by mail. You don't have to go anywhere. It's just a lot of paperwork and quite a big chunk of money to invest. This new passport can give people new freedoms they previously did not have access to. For example, this passport is quite powerful in terms of visa-free travel. It's 130 countries visa-free or visa on arrival. So for people like me with Russian passport, it's just a good opening into Schengen countries, into European Union, as well as a lot of Latin American countries. That would be one thing. And for many, it really is just the economic benefit of paying less tax. I have a lot of clients with hedge funds that are actually giving up their US passports and moving their, country, their companies offshore because the burden of taxation is just getting heavier and heavier. And 
it might make sense to invest into relocating it. But it isn't just hedge funds who can benefit from this low tax lifestyle. A lot of clients pretty much get their citizenship from a tax haven and then just making sure they don't become a president of either jurisdiction. So they they pick three places they like and they just travel around the world for uh, during the year, spending three months here and there. And uh, that suits them very, very well. It's kind of a little harder with the family, but single applicants, like that's that's a great way to leave. And now, as we've seen uh, a complete uh, change in terms of how you work, right? We've already been seeing a lot of migration from uh, big cities like New York and San Francisco. But now in the last 12 months, we've been forced to work from home only, which which completely loses the value of big cities. And we see migration between states like New York and California losing a lot of people towards Texas and Florida. And it will be only that much time when people realize that sometimes you might as well change a country. It's not that much harder. So I definitely see a big trend in it. My name is Sten Tamkiri and I'm a Lifelong software entrepreneur, uh, but in the last sort of six or seven years, I've mostly been building towards sort of a more open and borderless world and, and helping people to figure out where in the world they should be and how do they get there, uh, wherever their place is. Sten founded a company called Teleport in 2014 alongside Balaji, a website that helps people compare cities based on what is important to them. And in a typical startup way, it was to solve a problem of his own. I'm Estonian, born and raised. Um, I uh, joined Skype in the early startup days and, and while going through that growth, two things happened. Building the Skype team, by the time we had 200 people, we had 10 locations. So every week you had to figure out something about, okay, do I hire this person here or there, or do I invite them to move to some of the existing offices, or do we open up an office in Luxembourg, or like like moving somebody from Luxembourg to open up an office in Stockholm or Prague, or what do we do about US, how do we manage China, and so forth. And secondly, in that story, I was uh, constantly moving my family around. So I lived in, in Tallinn, London, Singapore, the US, and especially if you're doing it for yourself, if you don't have like this big corporate relocation service, say a big bank that you work for provides you, then it's a lot of hassle. There is a lot of unnecessary friction and both figuring out the details of what are the things that you need to do in order to go to and succeed in a new place and then actually doing that. There is a lot of bureaucracy, there's a lot of papers to fill out, there's a lot of things to buy and a lot of things that you don't even know that you need. So for me, when I came out of Skype and uh, was figuring where do I put the next decade in my life as an entrepreneur, uh, that seemed like a very worthwhile, massive mission to, to undertake, both to solve the problems that they intimately know, but also this big picture of governments competing for, cities, uh, for citizens is something that I very deeply believe in. And, uh, and I think that will make life better for, for anybody on the planet. The Teleport website has this interesting quote, free movement of talent will make every government in the world compete for every citizen. I think governance 100 years ago, 200 years ago, was m mainly the sort of the societal, societal grouping of people that happened to be born in that village, uh, plus maybe a sprinkle of, of sort of newcomers on top. 
And the reason why that was, I think, was that most of the economic activity at those times was related to that physical land and physical activities. And so if you think of the bits and the atoms as the usual sort of distinction is between those jobs, like do, is what you do generating a physical atom moving from one place to another, or is it more about moving information and, and that can be digitized? with a sort of resurgence or, or coming up with the jobs that are mostly focused on creating information. So, so with this liberty to, to live where you want based on your personal preferences and needs and retain your income because that has moved to online, that has completely changed how a, sort of a new generation of knowledge workers is looking at uh, the community they want to be part of and the country they want to live in or the city rather. And on the other side, if you look at the governance models, they are still very attached to this physical uh, sort of space. The way governments gather revenue is based on the physical location of the people who are in there. The way governments see the value added is sort of setting up, I don't know, building roads and hospitals, and it's all very sort of physical presence-based things. And so if you put these two trends together, you will what you will see is increasing number of people in the world con contemplating, are they at the right place? Is there a better place for me to be? What if I'm into maths? What if I'm a medical nurse? What if I, uh, I, I want to grow my kids uh, in a specific education system, whatever? And all of a sudden it creates this sort of supply and demand dynamic uh, between governments who build better environments for a particular set of people they become more attractive because the internet also allows the people to learn about those places. So all of a sudden you can find a place where the societal values uh, and the governance model and the healthcare and the air quality and all these other criteria actually match to your personal preferences. And for those governments, it's, it's it becomes possible to attract new talent to come to their physical locations. And on the other side, the governments who screw up like if you cannot maintain safe environments, if you cannot provide healthcare and the basic needs for the people in some segment, they will flee faster than ever before. But we have 200 countries and territories on the planet, and I believe that uh, that the every single one of them actually over the next 20, 50 years is heavily like competing for talent. And the only difference is if they have recognized and accepted that or not. They might think that they're they are in a static universe, but uh, but in in reality, the flow of people, the movement of people, is only increasing. Balaji thinks the exodus from San Francisco is already well underway. So I, I, let me give like two or three numbers here. One is that um, a lot of other cities saw their revenues, um, you know, at least partially rebound with like online food ordering apps, and San Francisco didn't, which indicates that you know, a, a big chunk of folks have come out. Number two is like U-Haul numbers also show people are moving out. But most importantly, the sentiment in the community, you know, you have people who are like now trying to defend San Francisco on the weather or some, some I think it's completely ludicrous. And the reason is 10 years ago, San Francisco technology, you know, really Silicon Valley more broadly, because it's not the same as San Francisco, but Silicon Valley was the technology capital of the world. Yeah, you know, it was nice that it was sunny, but you weren't coming there because it was sunny. You're coming there because it was the world-class environment. So the psychology has dramatically changed and people are either going to Miami or Austin, going to other countries. I think that's a big thing. A lot of folks have gone back to Israel, back to India, back to Korea, you know, because first they've done a better job with COVID, which is the most important thing, you know, to me at least. And uh, second is, you know, the opportunity is actually there, right? Like 
you know, there's a lot of opportunity abroad. And in fact, in many ways, the U.S. is just headed in a, in a bad direction, just like SF is headed in a bad direction. So you stack all those things together. You're seeing some of the stats with the U-Haul and the and the you know revenue numbers. You're seeing a psychological shift in, in the community with a lot of you know big dogs who've already left and folks who are pitching people on staying, framing in terms of duty and obligation to give more money to this incredibly wealthy city. So yeah, I absolutely do believe the exodus is real. And the most important thing is that it's no longer a monopoly. It's no longer got a veto. That will never come back, right? Just like, you know, Microsoft is still around, but it doesn't have a veto anymore. You know, it's like, it doesn't have, you you have options other than Windows, right? You have options other than Office. It is, it, you know, it's fine that it's making money, no, no problem with them, but its power is much less than it used to be. And the fact that San Francisco no longer has a monopoly, uh, that, that Silicon Valley no, has, no longer has a monopoly geographically, means that the power of Silicon Valley will never be what it was. An alternative to traditional cities is charter cities. And I spoke to Mark Latter, the founder and executive director of the Chartered Cities Institute. So charter cities being new cities uh, with better laws. The idea being over a long uh, period, the most important determinant of economic development is governance. If you are well governed, you will tend to do relatively well. If you are poorly governed, your country, region, whatever, will tend to, to do relatively poorly. One of the reasons we have seen people migrate out of cities, such as San Francisco, is the perceived poor governance. The challenge is that oftentimes improving governance uh, can be very difficult particularly at a national level, where there are a bunch of different special interest groups that might block different changes that could lead to uh, better outcomes. And so the idea of a charter city is say, okay, well, let's just take out a region that doesn't have a lot of people living there, that doesn't have any stakeholders, that is uh, undeveloped, and allow a separate set of rules to be uh, applied to that area. And then a new city can be built because a city is basically the smallest unit that can't have sustained economic development. And with that, you can create jobs, you can uh, have better governance and, and hopefully alleviate poverty. These charter cities look to the likes of Singapore, Hong Kong and Dubai, successful cities which have had a degree of self-governance. There is the opportunity to create these new city developments that have better laws, better rules, that can create the, the foundations for sustained economic growth and to help lift them out of poverty. For success, the relationship between the charter city and the government is important. What we are proposing at the Charter Cities Institute is a, a public-private partnership between a developer, uh, a new city developer, and the government. So the government will basically say, pass legislation that says, okay, within this um, area, within this territory, there can be different laws. But the reason for um, creating them in the first place is because the government is probably not particularly uh, effective at governing. There, there are some things that can be done better. And so this is kind of the, the challenge to walk this 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 tightrope between creating the opportunity for improvements while recognizing that like the, the, the reason there need to be improvements is because the government already isn't functioning as well as it might otherwise be able to. And the idea that we are proposing at the Charter Cities Institute is that the developer will uh, have a ownership stake in the land. And so their long-term interest will be to boost land value. And how do you boost the land value? It is by a more economic activity. And that is either more people or higher incomes per person. That gives them an incentive to do things that attract people, that attract businesses, that create these jobs that can set the stage for long-term economic growth. And then there's a number of other 
mechanisms that can be put in place to minimize the potential of abuse of power. You have the government, which will be overseeing it. You can bring in outside observers to oversee it. You can um, set up checks and balances in the internal system. And this is only one uh, possible variety. If there are other people who think that, oh, my governing system will work better, okay, go ahead, try it and, 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 and see what happens. I think the advantage of charter cities is that they allow for more experimentation in governance. Success in these charter cities is based on the combination of friendly business regulations alongside strong government. So typically there has been kind of a libertarian conservative answer, which is mostly deregulation. And that does definitely does have a number of elements of truth. But I think that's often forgotten about is the strong government part. So, for example, I lived in Honduras a few years ago. I took a bus from Honduras to El Salvador at one point. The bus left at 6 a.m. in the morning because if it left any later, it would be crossing the border around um, in the dark. And there are literal highway bandits who would rob you if you drive through those areas at night. And so, right, like that is not a problem of deregulation. That is a problem of having a government that is too weak to project a force. The government needs to be strong enough to provide a good environment that allows for economic activity, that allows for growth, but needs to then also know when to kind of take its 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 hand off of the, the dial or whatever the metaphor is that would otherwise lead to kind of bad business outcomes. But Balaji says it isn't just governments who can change how cities are run. People can too. Something that I've been interested in for a long time is, you know, what I think of as 100% democracy versus 51% democracy. So in a 51% democracy, 51% outvotes 49%, you know, and they're, the, the 49% just has to suck it up, right? And this leads to dysfunctionality. It leads to, you know, people fighting these extremely nasty political battles. Um, the alternative is, I think, something which I think of as 100% democracy. And at first, it seems unrealistic. The idea is that, you know, 100% of people in a jurisdiction have actually signed the social contract, okay? And if they don't like it, then they leave. Now, the thing is, why is that becoming more and more feasible? Well, there's a guy named Charles T. Bao. 1951, who wrote a very important article on so-called T-Bow sorting, T-I-E-B-O-U-T. And he made a bunch of assumptions in this academic article, like, you know, people have perfect information and moving has no cost and, you know, so on and so forth. They're very unrealistic in 1951, but that are very realistic 70 years later because we've got search engines, we've got remote work, we've got, you know, digital provision of services, all of these kinds of things, all of his assumptions are now validated. And essentially what he said was that you could envision a world where there's a thousand different jurisdictions and people move between them. And um, that is how they satisfy their preferences. It basically is going from a two-party system to an N-city system, right? Rather than two parties, a thousand cities, you know, around the world to choose from. And, you know, for somebody like 200 years ago, 100 years ago, you know, just, just jumping on a plane and getting to Vietnam or getting to, you know, like uh, Monaco was not an option. Right. And now it's a consumer thing where any pretty much anybody can do it. You know, it's it's within within reach. So if we can bring relocation costs down to roughly the cost of a plane flight, you know, same order of magnitude, it's, it's close to that. Right. It's about 10x more, you know, all in. That's a very important goal for technology. If we do that, then the, the thousand city system as an alternative to the end two party system becomes a real alternative. This show was written and narrated by myself, Peter McCormack with additional production and sound design by Danny Knowles. Support for Defiance comes from Kraken, the safest and best place to buy and sell Bitcoin. Available at kraken.com, or you can download the app from the Apple or Google app stores. Just search for Kraken Pro 
which is K-R-A-K-E-N-P-R-O. I am Peter McCormack. Head over to defiance.news where you can listen to previous shows and watch our films. Also, if you want to learn more about Bitcoin, please head over to our sister podcast, What Bitcoin Did. And if you're interested in this show and you want to reach out to me, my email address is peter at defiance.news. 